Hi everyone, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. And this is the Dapper Meeple. This show is about our love of gaming, the games we play, and the gaming community around this passion. So grab some snacks, pull up a chair, and join us at the table with your monocle and bowler hat. Hey kids, remember, this is an adult podcast and may contain adult language. Also, the Dapper Meeple outfit, not required. So as you can tell by the opening music, this is going to be our holiday episode. And regardless of the holiday you choose to celebrate, know that everyone should be welcome in this community. On this episode, we're going to give you some great gift ideas for the gamer in your life that aren't games. And we're also going to talk PAX U, Matthew Mercer's opening story time, and some of our favorite moments in gaming. And we'll finish it all up with our crowdfunding roundup. All that and more on this episode of the Dapper Meeple. Hey guys, welcome to the Dapper Meeple. Merry Christmas. Happy Boxing Day. Happy Hanukkah. May your candles burn bright this season. Have a blessed Kwanzaa, EO Saturnalia, and Merry Yuletide. I think I hit most of the uh, major ones there. And if not, to any of those we left out, happy holidays. Don't get mad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's that time of year again. There are holidays celebrated all through this month. One of the big ones that we missed this year, unfortunately, was PAX Unplugged. Yep. I mean, it's just as good as Christmas. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, it might even be better. Might, yeah. Yeah, yeah. More days. You can buy your own presents. There's no big surprises. Um, I did hear there were over 30,000 people there this year. Yes. So yeah. it's continued to grow. Uh, a lot of people are saying it's quickly becoming number two in the conventions in the uh, in the States. I can see it. We went to Gen Con this year. Yep. And while it was good, like Gen Con was a lot of fun. Yeah. Four days. We were working a booth part time. We were playing a lot of games. We got to see a lot of like what's coming. Some of the best games that are out there. Uh, there were food trucks, which I'm a fan of. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Yeah. So really great time. PAX has a different feel for me. It really does. Uh, and I think part of that might be because it's it's smaller. So a little more intimate. Yeah, uh, doesn't there's not as many people there. Um, it felt, it always felt like um, I don't know, like going somewhere familiar. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of that might be that that was our first big convention. Yeah, and like the first year we were there, uh, you have convention overload. Oh yeah. So year two, we started getting stuff planned out. Uh, by year three, like we were vets at this, uh, and then we missed. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what more we're going to have to learn again for next year. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I do hate we missed it this year. Unfortunately, with all the other plans that we have, you know, coming up for the end of the year, it just is what it is. But um, I, hopefully we'll be able to hit both next year for sure. One of the best things that I thought was in there was we got to the opening story time. Yeah. The second year we made it to story time, which was the opening event. And it was Abrea Iyengar. Not to be confused with Isengard. <laughs> From Lord of the Rings. And then last year, it was the McElroy brothers. And I really like the way they did it. It was a question and answer type format. But they randomly got the question. And it could be stuff about, hey, what was some stuff that you did as a kid that drove your dad nuts? Yeah. Um, or it could be explain Warhammer 40k in two minutes. Yeah. Or my personal favorite were, what were the socio-political moments leading up to World War II? <laughs> 
So yeah, uh, that was really fun because um, a lot of the topics you could tell they had no idea, but they had to talk about it for two minutes, like they were experts. They nailed it. It was yeah, good. it was it was great. Um, story time at PAX is is one of those things that it's become a tradition because they always have a guest speaker come in, usually somebody involved in the gaming world. They basically give them that hour to do what they want to do, right? So this year, um, which of course the year we didn't go, was Matt Mercer. Yes. Um, fortunately, they record everything and put yes. it on YouTube or Twitch. Uh, and we got a chance to actually sit and watch it. It's about an hour long. If you get a chance, I think it is a fantastic commentary on our community. Yeah. Or what our community should be. Uh, what I love about Matt Mercer is every time he does anything publicly, when he walks out on stage, there's this impression of, what the hell am I doing here? Like, you see it in his face every time. He's always surprised that, like, people are there to see him. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think it's genuine. Yeah, it is. But, Absolutely. And yeah. he's talked about this on other podcasts and things that he's done um, where he tells us, he's like, oh, yeah, I have imposter syndrome big time. Yeah. So um, another thing that he does really well is kind of bringing mental health issues in this community kind of to the forefront. Yeah. And talking about them and normalizing them. But his story time was excellent. Um, he had a slideshow, which apparently this is the first slideshow Matt has ever done. <laughs> And he had left the kind of opening slide for the different segments of his show blank so that the group from Critical Role could put in whatever photographs or pictures that they liked. Yeah. But he didn't get to see them. It was a trust exercise. They all sent them to Marisha and she put them in. So the first time he saw the photos uh, was when he was on stage. Yeah. Uh, I, I think my favorite. Uh, was the very first one, the beginning <laughs> section, and it was submitted by Travis Willingham, and it was two tortoises getting it on. Yeah, yeah. And each picture, Matt would, you know, do his improv of why that picture represents the category of, you know, his speech he was going into. Fantastic for most of them. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think there was only one one that I think Liam sent in. Yeah. That he, he just wasn't able to tie it together. And, you know, he gave Liam his props. You know, well done. But no, that, it was a really good, not only look into his life and, like, his gaming credentials. Right. You know, where he came from. His gaming pedigree. Yeah. As we uh, call it on the show. Um, But it was a lot of also, like you say, commentary on the community as a whole. Um, with some really good, like some really good elements of how we as a community can continue to grow and get better. Yes, there was one term that he brought up that I really liked, uh, and it's something that I think a lot of people should consider and kind of recognize in their life. And the term is sonder, and it is defined as. The profound feeling of realizing that everyone, including strangers passing in the street, have a life as complex as one's own. They are constantly living despite one's personal lack of awareness of it. Which, you know, is true. Everybody is the center of their life. And yeah. the rest of us that come in and out are your NPCs. Yeah. You know, um, I think looking at life from that kind of a perspective really gives us a chance to, you know, maybe you don't scream at the McDonald's worker because they might have some stuff going on. Right, right. I mean, he he introed this, you know, talking about kind of developing NPCs and, and that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, 
brought that into just how do you deal with people like in your everyday life, like realizing that the things that you have that are extremely important to you, they each have their own things that are equally important to them. Right. Um, and understanding that level of empathy that you need to have sometimes with people, um, I, I think is a great thing to take a look at as a person, first of all, um, but also as someone who is, you know, designing and, you know, creating these worlds with these characters, you know, asking those questions or, you know, what are the things that not only drive them, but what does their worldview look like? Right. right. What does it mean for them to be the main character kind of thing? But yeah, overall, um, I thought it was really, really well done. Yes, absolutely. Um, I am sorry we missed it. We will definitely be there next year um, one way or another. But I think definitely it's one of the things that we have planned to make sure that we don't miss again uh, next year. Uh, A lot of friends went. There were a lot of people who were texting me and asking, you know, hey, where are you guys at? And we're like, yeah, we're not there. Um, But we'll make up for it uh, when we go back next year. So kind of being the end of the year, uh, and this is our closeout episode for the year, we're going to take a break until January. Uh, We've got a lot of stuff going on, as most people do during whichever holiday you celebrate. Uh, The winter solstice this year is on the 21st of December, by the way, in case anybody needs that information. I thought we would do a look back at our favorite moments in gaming this year. So we do a lot, as we've talked about. Uh, We play a lot of board games. We run a lot of TTRPGs. We play in a lot of TTRPGs. And with that, there comes this thing that we've talked about, and Matt actually talked about it as well, where when you're playing these games, you don't remember them as a group of people sitting around a table, you're weaving this story and it's kind of, it, it transports you into the story. Yeah. You know, you are living it. You are writing the dialogue in your head and you are bringing these characters to life. You define their motivations. You look at what they do in the lives that they live. And then you have adventures with the people sitting around the table. But in my head and in most people's heads, I think it always plays back as a movie for us. Yeah. So it's with that that I think we look back and remember the fun times that we've had um, over this last year. So during this year, I started a campaign with uh, friends that I know. Uh, Josh was in it. Marie, my significant other. My, you know, DM that I started with in fifth edition, Leslie, uh, who's been on the show. Mike. Mike has been a perpetual player in all of our silliness, Mm -hmm. as well as Dale. Mm-hmm. and they put together a cast of characters that I thought was fantastic. So let's talk about Mike. From the first campaign Mike has played with us, we we tease him all the time that Mike just plays the same character, just in a different skin. Yeah. Right? He's always kind of stabby, uh, and he's kind of a bit of an a-hole yeah. in all of his characters. Like, almost to the point that people were like, hey, dude, <laughs> yeah, we're going to fight. Always the the surly, like... Orphan background. Hiding the shadows. Yeah. Yeah. Where do we find your character? He's in a tavern in the back corner, in the By darkest himself. part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that was the, um, <laughs> that was the cookie cutter that Mike used to make his characters. Um, it, I mean, we still had a good time, but yeah, it was very much, uh, cause I remember, was it last year we bought everybody dice for Christmas? It was oh. the foam brain dice. Which usually have, they have stuff like in them, like floating around in them or, you know, yeah. in, inside the dice. And the ones I got Mike 
were little daggers because no matter what character he played, he was always playing Lucan, which was his first character with us. <laughs> uh, but we started this campaign and it was an Eberron campaign. And I decided to actually start the campaign in the country of Drome, which was a newly founded country. It's only about 10 years old in the grand scheme of Eberron. That's not a lot. But it was a country that was established for monster races, what we consider the monsters, right? The orcs, the trolls, the goblins, Medusa, uh, the hags, giants, like all of those, gnolls, live in Drome. And it is a country that has its own kind of traditions and culture and government. Mike was playing a changeling, and we worked in his backstory where... He was kind of working for some of the local like intelligence groups that are um, that were part of Jerome. And he played a bard. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, College of Swords. And uh, I was wrong. I was wrong. He went a different route. <laughs> um, and his character was so different. He played this charming, almost eloquent. He performed when he wanted to perform. That was his, you know. Yeah. His lead into the group and meeting them wasn't just in a tavern. It was kind of infiltrating the group. Um, soft infiltration, I guess we'll call it. It wasn't really against them, but he was like, hey, let's keep an eye on them. Um, but he did really well. And one of the greatest moments was over Roll20 in Discord, where he actually had a performance that the entire group came to. And Mike had taken the time to write a song. <laughs> yeah. And it was amazing, I think, to see personal growth as well as character growth. Yeah. In all things. Um, so I think that was one of my favorite gaming moments of this year. Yeah, that was a. That was definitely a surprise because I didn't expect I didn't expect that. No, <laughs> not even close. No, because I had actually been the DM for. The other campaigns that we we played with Mike in, yeah, um, <laughs> and that was not his character in those campaigns. But no, it was really cool to have that, like him as a player stepping outside of his comfort zone, right, to do something that he felt like his character would want to do. Yeah, you know. So yeah, uh, that was that was really well done. For me, my moment is not so much a gaming moment as it is a like. The community experience. Mm -hmm. uh, I think my moment is when we went to Gen Con. Um, not just like the event as a whole. I really enjoyed this year getting the opportunity to be on the vendor side of things. Right. So we joke about having exhibitor badges after the first ones that we wanted packs. Um, and that was really fun, you know, to be able to get in early and like, you know, get to see things and talk to people and sort of things like that, which we love. Um, for me this year, it was really cool to be able to do something substantial for uh, people who have a company that we like. Right. 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 So we've talked about before, we got to work with the BA Games guys um, in their booth this year. Um, and what's funny is we have known them for years, right? Ever since Ed found our card in the random places where we left them. Sure. And uh, yeah, we got to do the interview with him, you know. And ever since then, though, like we've had, I don't know, kind of a tentative friendship, I guess is what I would call it, um, you know, because we talk about their stuff. We talk about their games. Um, they're really good people, of course. 
uh, I really felt like this year was an opportunity at Gen Con for us to really take that a step further. Right, right. So uh, we were... <laughs> We were at the booth and we had a loose schedule. Yeah, <laughs> just, that's what I'll call it. Yeah, right. Um, but it was more. Um, Sam had gotten us badges, so we were like, "Well, we'll you know we'll work the booth for so many hours, whatnot, whatever our agreement was." I don't even remember at this point. Um, but I I think what they expected from us was to like come in and shuffle some things around, like you know maybe a little bit of crowd control, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we stepped in and, um, within like the first hour we're there, um, I know you were over at the cash register doing like your short pitch of what, um, cult of the deep is. And then like every time somebody needed to buy something, it was like, oh, but you also need these metal coins. <laughs> and I think you also need this play mat as well. Um, and then I actually had the main cult of the deep altar. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you've never seen the BA game set up at a convention, they had a 3D printed altar that they always do their Cult of the Deep demo on. Right. Um, it's a nice catching eyepiece. Like they put it right front and center of their booth. Very it's fantastic. Culty. Very yeah, culty. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm standing there, obviously running the longer like run through with whoever came up and wanted to see it, showing off the cards, the the coins, all that good stuff kind of thing. And I think it was probably the end of the, after the first day we worked, um, we were talking with Sam actually, and just the, the surprise, I guess from him, uh, from like, we were more than what he expected. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that whole experience for me was fantastic because we obviously appreciate them being, I mean, one of our first guests that we ever had on the show, um, and like being able to actually give back to them. And then not only that, connecting more with like the community as a whole. Yeah. Right. Cause we, when we go to cons um, in the past, when we weren't like doing any kind of booth work, we just wander around everywhere. Right. We talk to some people. Um, we do get like a few little bit of interaction sort of thing. Um, when you're at a booth though, it's completely different. Like people are coming by you to look at what you have there. Right. Um, and it's cool to hear, you know, stories from different people who maybe they got the games that you're working with, or maybe they had backed the one that, uh, the new game that they had with forges, or they were intending to back it when it comes out, all, all that sort of stuff, um, was a really cool experience for me. Um, and a really neat, like connection on the other side that we don't get a lot of. So, yeah, I don't think, like you said, Sam was expecting us to kind of jump in with both feet. Yeah. But I mean, you're in retail sales. Yeah. And <laughs> I spent, you know, 20 years in the Navy where the last half of it, a big part of what I was doing was, you know, somebody had to get up and train people. So I'd stand in front of like two or 300 people and give training and write it. And, you know, I have no problem talking to people. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about this when we're wandering around. I have a tendency just to wander into booths and start chatting yeah. so yeah uh, yeah yeah it was uh it was a lot of fun it was a really great experience uh and again being able to do something for those guys was yeah. really a big part of it yeah i i think that that connection with the rest of the community like just in general i mean gen con itself is a spectacle like if you've never been um, and you could tolerate crowds of crazy amount of people, 
you know, give it a shot because it's definitely something that you may only need to go one time and <laughs> you might be done. You're right. But yeah, just seeing that many people, you know, we talked about it when we we first went to PAX, right? That that first time was the time that kind of was the the catalyst for like this podcast for how we feel about it, how we feel about the community. It was kind of like that feeling all over again. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there were so many good things. Uh, one of the things that I really regret that we missed was, and if anybody could tell us, the Warhammer booth at Gen Con had this dungeon crawl <laughs> experience where you sat down, you had a couple of characters, you tried to make it as far as you could through the Space Hulk, you picked up gear, you picked up you know, equipment, and you got to yeah. keep it, and you could use it. And they said, hey, we're going to be at PAX. And we're like, Maddie B, we'll be there, baby. <laughs> and uh, we missed. So, Matt, if yeah. you're listening, sorry about that. Uh, we'll make it up at Gen Con. Yeah, make sure you're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we will be. Because, uh, oh, my God, if one of the other guys runs for us. I don't know if I can do it. I don't no. know. Yeah, I might have, to, might have to be it. So, yeah, we're going to get started. We're going to talk about some ideas for gifts for the gamer in your life that are not games. Because that's an easy one, right? That's a softball. There's yeah. so many good games. Um, but, yeah. You know what you need in your life? You need accessories. So I guess regardless of which holiday you celebrate during this time of the year, gift giving always seems to be kind of a standard, right? Right. So we're going to talk about a few options for you to get for your favorite gamer geek tabletop player uh we're gonna give you a lot of options that are not games uh buying games for someone who is in the hobby can be challenging because you risk a couple things one they may already have the game right and you may just not know or if you buy a game for them and they don't enjoy it that can just feel bad for everybody right right and it it can be hard to tell i mean we've had games that on the surface, we're like, this isn't going to be fun at all. And we've broken it out and been like, oh, well, I was wrong. And then right. we have definitely have some go the exact opposite <laughs> way. I am so excited to get this to the table, and it's just not fun. Yeah, yeah. So what we want to give you is some general categories, a couple specific examples of some really cool accessories and different things that will go along with the hobby, uh, but don't necessarily have to be games. Right. So let's start off with getting some new dice, all right? Especially in the tabletop community, yeah, there are tons of little dice goblins. <laughs> People that obsess over clickety-clackety math rocks, yep. and that becomes uh, their personality trait for the first couple of years of playing. Uh, and that's fine uh, if that is your thing. I think I have gotten to the point now where I've got enough dice, so if I buy new dice, they got to be something super special. Yeah, I I don't know some some people never grow out of that phase. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's cool. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean if that's that's you, that's that's awesome. Like enjoy your math rock collection, right, right, <laughs> and, and show it off to everyone who you can. Uh, but we want to talk about some some different dice, both that we've seen, some that we own. Uh, and then some different companies that we know make really, really good products. So the way this works is it really kind of depends on what game you know that your person plays. Yep. So if they're like a Warhammer person, they're going to need like D6s. Yeah. 
All um, of them. Yeah, yeah. If you're a tabletop player like D&D, Pathfinder, um, the typical polyhedral set works, yeah. right? So they usually come in sets of seven or ten because they give you the extra D6s for your building your character uh, the D&D way. But these can range from 12, 13, 14 bucks up to ungodly numbers <laughs> that we don't even like to think about. <laughs> they come in all different materials in all different colors. Some of them are UV. Some of them are hollow. Some of them have liquid cores. Like There are so many options now when it comes to dice. And honestly, for many of them, you really can't go wrong. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to get bad dice at this, you know, at this point, most people know how to make them, make them well where they're well right. balanced. Um, so you can start with, uh, let's talk Chessex is a classic. Yeah. They were probably the first set of dice most of us started with. Yeah. I think you can actually pick up a set of those for around like seven bucks now at most game stores. Right. And that's a full like seven piece set. Yeah. So it gives you all of the uh, dice that you're going to need on the tabletop. I've got a bunch of those. And yeah. like I still use them when I need them. If people come over and they didn't bring their dice, um, I have a, a grab bag that you can get into. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another good one that I like is Foam Brain. Yes. They make a lot of really cool dice, usually with things inside of them. Right. Um, that you can kind of customize if you know a little bit about what the person you're buying for is playing or what they like to play. You can kind of lean in towards that. Or if you know, they like rubber duckies, they have rubber ducky dice. That's right. And I think they have it in like two or three colors now too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're all about expanding. Absolutely. Uh, they, they make a lot of really cool stuff like that. I know one of the, one of the most fun things that I ever did was when I ran a campaign for people who had never played before, I bought each of them a set of dice that tied with their character. Right. Um, so yeah. that was really, really cool. It's always a gift that's like, oh, you actually know something about this hobby that I'm, you know, a part of. Uh, one that I want to talk about, I've seen show up on my Facebook a lot, is You Are Wizards. Yeah. They do a lot of really nice dice. Um, they're big ones that I think they have out now that I've really liked is they've got the liquid core. Yes. So if you have not seen it or you're new to this, there are dice that are solid, but the center of the dice um, was left open and injected with some kind of liquid. It usually has some glitter or something floating around in there. Some of them have like eyeballs or something. So you can really kind of uh, explore that and find some really cool options for somebody. They're usually a little bit more expensive and they're right. usually really the sharp resin. Yeah. So all the dice are really pointy, but those are work out really well. And you're probably going to find those for 20, 25 bucks, something yeah. like that. Which is right in line with uh, with most metal dice as well. Yeah. So yeah, speaking of metal, we get we start to kind of lean more into like the artesian dice. That's right. Right. So taking taking it a step up here, um, these are much better than just your standard resin. Which there are some really nice resin dice out there. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, but we start to lean into like your different metals uh, as well as other materials yeah. that they can be made out of. And you begin to start playing with size and things like that as well, um, from like the small, tiny miniature ones all the way up to uh, what I like to call the table shakers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the miniature ones are really cool. They have, you can find them, there's a couple different companies that make a keychain that's basically a dice box that has oh, mini really dice cool. in it. So you can, you know, never be without your dice just in case you need to like pick a fight at a bar or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think we uh, Norse Foundry had some of those with yep. their their small sets. Um, 
so speaking of them, Norse Foundry is a fantastic place to look at if you're debating getting artisanal dice. Uh, they do a lot of metal dice, but they also do a lot of gemstone, um, as well as various other like natural occurring rocks. Yes. Um, in fact, you have a set from them that is obsidian. Yes, I do. Yeah, the black on black obsidian. Yep. It's fantastic. Now, these dice can run you anywhere from $30, $40 a set all the way up to in the hundreds. Yeah, absolutely. They uh, they have one set that I've looked at. They do some of them in the uh, exotic bone. So it's like deer antler or moose antler or something. And a set of those will set you back. I think it's like 350 You can go big depending on what your budget is and how much you like the person. Or if you want to give yourself a gift, here we are. Um, but they, they do fantastic work. Um, I know your set came in like a really nice wooden case that you can keep it in. That's all like magnetic closure, yep. like just the whole nine yards. Uh, another, uh, company that I really like is level up dice. Yes. I always love their displays at cons. Oh, their boots they are look fantastic. So good. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody there's wearing like a, a pseudo like tux vest. Yeah. Fantastic. And their, uh, their color scheme is like a dark purple. So, like, they have, you know, all their workers there in that, like, nice vest with, like, the dark purple shirt. Yeah, that's it's fantastic. Like, they do a really, really good presentation at conventions. Um, they are one of the main companies that make the large D20s, the, the table shakers. I have one that's a medium size. Uh, it's actually machined aluminum. Uh, it's fantastic. I love the terror that it brings in players' eyes when I roll <laughs> it across the table. You can find stuff like that, too, if you're looking for just like a, a singular like icon piece or something that is uh, instead of a full set, um, you can pick up something like that from them, too. I know they also do D6s that are larger as well. I was going to say they got some of the big D6s in there. Yep. So you can get that for your favorite rogue who needs to roll like, you know, four or five sneak attack dice, um, you know, have them make a statement. But uh, yeah, that's that's a company that I also really enjoy their stuff. One name that's kind of gotten really popular, especially with being associated with Critical Role as well, is the Wormwood Company. Yeah. So uh, originally they were more for like uh, wooden handmade accessories, mm-hmm. like your your dice boxes, um, the Game Master screens, um, dice cases and things like that. But they started to introduce actual dice now within the past couple of years. Um, and yeah, it's the same vein as the others, like very high quality made, fantastic different materials. Um, if you have a favorite gemstone, like they probably make dice out of it. Most of the time. Yeah. 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 Whether you find it in as a complete stone or as an inlay, I mean, there, you have yeah. lots of options. Um, and these are some of the, like we said, these are some of the higher up dice, uh, that you're getting really fancy and really expensive with now. Um, one of the last ones too we'll talk is artesian dice yeah they make dice out of really exotic material they have a lot of them that are uh made out of like gemstone they have a lot of them that are made out of wood uh i think they have some woolly mammoth dice like i'm being serious i know i talk a lot of times uh this is (laughs) it's a serious thing uh and they have a lot of them where you can buy like just a single d20 or you can buy a full set yeah uh, I think the most expensive one and one of the ones that uh, I, like I'm on the fence. It's a little <laughs> morbid, but they make uh, a Memento Mori dice, which are made from human bone. And I don't know where they got it from. I'm sure they explain it's, it on the website. It's not questions we're really asking. Right. But 
For the single D20, it's $293. If you want the full set, it's going to cost you about $2,900. I think that may be the top end of dice that we found. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, we've had this conversation about these dice, and I think we should share it because... Dice are a fickle thing. Um, that's why you can find, you know, all sorts of fun, like dice jails and, you know, timeout chairs for your dice because, you know, sometimes they just don't roll like you want them to. I almost am of the opinion that if you had a set of dice made from human bone, I feel like there's possibility for some, uh, like, effect happening here. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Like, somebody somewhere is upset about this. Yeah, like, I'm not super, like, you know, superstitious when it comes to it, but, like... But I am a little stitious. Yeah, <laughs> a little stitious, yeah. Uh, but, but no, those those are some fantastic options for you if you think the person you're wanting to buy a gift for would like dice. Um, definitely take a look at some of those places and uh, see if you can find something that fits within your budget. Right, and if you have the gamer in your life... Um, and if you do have like somebody that's a little dice goblin, really fancy dice are like you may look at it and be like, oh, that's not very big. But trust me, they will love them. Yeah. 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 Um, so speaking of dice, let's kind of roll over into um, like accessories that you can get with those. Right. We mentioned uh, the dice dungeons or the dice jails. Yep. Uh, you can find those online in a lot of places. It's a fun little uh accessory to have at the table because sometimes there'll be dice that just go rogue right (laughs) you've rolled it 10 times and the highest number you've got is a four yeah right sometimes you need to teach that dice lesson and you put it in dice jail they're these little like boxes usually that look like jail with bars and you throw your dice in there until they learn to act better yeah we actually have a dunch chair for ours (laughs) yeah it's a little wooden chair you put the dice on and you got a little dunce cap that fits on the dice yep so you gotta shame your dice into performing Absolutely. Uh, There are a bunch of fun little designs and things like that that you can find online. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of different interpretations of the same thing. It's I think it's a fun, small like gift that is not going to be very expensive, uh, but people who are into the hobby will appreciate it and it they'll enjoy it. Yeah. Um, And going along with that, we get into um, like dice trays and dice towers. Especially if you've got like the fancy dice or the metal dice, it's uh-huh. a good idea to have at least a dice tray to roll them in. Yeah, because uh, depending on where you're playing, uh, what table you may be using, these heavier dice can absolutely scar a table. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so you have tons of options when it comes to dice trays. Uh, they're everything from the ones that are flat that have the little buttons in the corners that you clip together to make a tray. You have ones with like a wooden frame around the outside. Uh, so many different options now. Um, you can really find whatever flavor that you want. Absolutely. You, especially if you get into somebody or get into a shop that's doing like leather working or stuff. Oh, yeah. They've got usually some really nice ones that'll fold up, easy to travel. I will give a shout out again to Level Up Dice. They do make a few like leather dice trays mm-hmm. um, or, or have them made for them. Um, that they sell that are gorgeous. Um, They have different colors, things like that with their logo on them. Um, Yeah, very, very nice. Um, I think, though, the one that I've probably used more than any other is going to be the one that we picked up from Geekon. Yes. So Geekon is a company that makes a few different products. The the biggest one that I have used more than anything is the backpack. 
Um, I got it, uh, I guess about four years ago now. Um, and actually my first one that I had, the stitching started to come apart on the shoulder strap and it wasn't anything. It was, it was mainly cosmetic. Yep. Um, but we stopped by the booth when they were at PAX our first year actually. And I showed them where the stitching was starting to come undone and they like took my bag and gave me a brand new one. Um, it's fantastic company, but the, uh, some of the accessories they make are really, really cool. Uh, the one that we bought is their smaller dice case that comes with a rolling tray that kind of a, attaches to the bottom yeah, of it. Yeah, kind of the the dice case kind of nests in the tray. Yeah. So um so when you are ready to play, you just unzip the the case and you pull off the tray and there you go. You have everything all in one. It's a nice like foam insert inside of it to keep even if you have a um, nicer dice, it'll keep them separated, which is important. You don't want to bump it into each other possibly messing up those dice. Right. Uh they also uh while we're talking about it, do make a really nice kind of folding dice tower. Yeah. Um, and for those of you that may not know, uh, a dice tower is really just this kind of apparatus where you drop your dice in the top and there are randomizers. So basically different shelves for it to bounce up on the way down. So it gives you a roll without you having to actually throw the dice. Yeah. Uh, I believe that their dice tower comes with a dice tray as well. Most of them do where they kind yeah. of like hook in. Yeah. It clips on the side of, um, I think any of their trays actually, or at least the larger ones. Right. Dice towers are very, very good, especially if the person is playing in a like a tight space yeah like if there's not a lot of room to roll dice they keep everything usually really close um and when it comes to dice towers um the sky's really the limit on it i was gonna say you can find <laughs> them from wood you can find them made out of aluminum you can 3d print these things yep there are tons of options um my girlfriend actually has one that is a mimic that was 3D printed, and so she got to paint it herself, uh, and it looks fantastic. That one's always fun to bring out on the table. Yep. Uh, but yeah, another thing is for if you have somebody that's uh, one of these power rollers, like they roll and dice go everywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, dice tray is kind of a good way to rein those people in. Uh, yeah, think of it as the top of the box that you used to roll in when you right <laughs> when you were younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Fire and Ash when it comes to dice towers. They just finished their Kickstarter successfully. It was their second one. We have one of their hidden book dice towers already that we got customized. Go over and look at what they have. Their dice towers look so good. They're just, it's a unique design on top of everything else. Yeah. Uh, Go take a look at that and uh, see some of the products that they have out there. Continuing on with um, options or things that you can buy your tabletop friends for Christmas. Um, let's get into play mats and like table topper mats. Yeah. Um, I think this is really good if like, especially if you come over for a game night and they show you like their favorite game. Yeah. Most of the games that I've seen out there now, um, a lot of them do have a play mat option. Yes. That has been something that has been extremely popular in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them will take the game board printed onto a play mat. And then go from there. Um, so to those of you who are not familiar with most of the gaming hobby, playmats do a lot of things for games. One, they make it a surface that is easier to pick things up off of, specifically cards. Yes. Um, so card gamers, you know, your Magic the Gathering, your Yu-Gi-Oh, all those love to have playmats because um, it just makes that easier. Uh, it also usually looks really, really nice as, as a table presence. Um, and they can have 
if it's not one specific to the game, they can have all sorts of different designs on them. Um, we actually have one from a company called Game Toppers that we use as a full table playmat. That's right. So when we are um, planning on playing any kind of game, we just roll it out across the table, set the game up on it, and it's ready to go. Right. It's like a six foot topper. Yeah. Covers the whole table. It's like looks like wood grain. It's beautiful. People love it. Um, like I said, really helps picking things up. Uh, I think this stuff. This really came from the TCG side, and now everybody just likes having play mats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's some great options there. Uh, if you're not really sure, like if you do know that you have a person that is into uh, trading card games, finding one with artwork that they would like is absolutely yes. an option. Yeah. Um, Magic the Gathering makes um, a lot of play mats with card artwork on it. Um, so if you can find like a favorite card they have or something like that. Uh, but outside of them, the officially licensed products you can find so many different artists making playmats and companies making playmats that just have different pieces of art on them. Mm -hmm. um, so if you find something that's really cool or something that's maybe, um, you know, whatever might be up their alley, it probably exists out there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk upgrades. So you know what games they have. You know what games they like. Here's a chance to make that game a little bit better. We've talked about this a lot, especially when we talk about the Kickstarter side of this, because yeah. most of the Kickstarter games uh, will come with an option to buy upgraded components. Uh, they'll come with options for like metal coins, uh, minis instead of meeples. Like yep. there are always uh, some kind of option that's really doesn't do anything to make the game different. It just kind of it, it's a nice aesthetic. Yeah, from a from a core concept of the game, the game still plays the same, but it usually looks better or it feels better. So one of my favorite examples of this is with a game Quacks of Quedlinburg. So in Quacks, it's a bag building game where you are constantly reaching in this bag to pull chips out of. The standard game comes with cardboard chips. Um, nice and easy. They'll work just fine to play the game. Sure. Yeah, but... Uh, you can actually get upgraded pieces for it that are like double-sided acrylic. Um, and it just changes the way the game feels like tactically. Yeah. A everything is like just reaching your hand in the bags where like the chips around. Uh, if you never experienced it, you probably think I sound like a crazy person and I might be, but it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, there was a game actually that I just played when we were at Gen Con uh, called Spellbook. Um, and it had the same kind of chips in it. And that's all I could think about the entire time I was playing is how wonderful those chips felt when I was reaching in the bag. Um, so those are the kind of component upgrades that we're talking about. Those those small things, whether it be moving to metal coins, which mm -hmm. is a personal favorite of ours. Um, something about the little clink and, you know, as you're moving them around, um, you can also look for miniature expansions, things like that. Um and this kind of requires you to know a little bit about what they like. Right, right. So if you have gone to a couple game nights with your friends, if there's that one game they always go, man, you know, we could always play this game. Um, it might be something to look into because there are there are ways to um, accessorize almost every game that's out there. Um, and a lot of them are not very expensive either. That's right. That's right. Especially with uh, upgrading components. Another option is if you've done this level of research and you kind of know what games that your person likes, 
You can also look to see if there are any expansions. Yeah. Now, expansions can almost be as dangerous as buying <laughs> a new game. Right. Uh, but if they do like the game already, it's usually a pretty good case that an expansion will elevate that experience. Um, so use that one with caution, uh, but definitely consider it as there are a lot of very good games out there that are made better by their expansions. That's true. That's true. Uh, good place to look if you're not sure if you know the game and you want to see if there's an expansion for it. BoardGameGeek.com is an excellent resource for stuff like that. You can also find upgraded components on there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually where the Quacks of Quedlinburg Geek Up bits come from. So there's a lot of different upgrades and things like that on that website as well. Um, and then the last part with this I think we should talk about is, is storage. Um, this may not be as... Uh, big of a showstopper for you since you're not the one having to deal with storage usually. Um, but sometimes getting a better insert or something like that for a game that you love to make it easier to set up or tear down. Right. Um, can be a wonderful gift. Um, I think specifically to, um, games like Gloomhaven, um, even Zombicide to a certain extent, which they've gotten better with their storage over the years, but, um, getting inserts for these games, uh, you can find them uh, websites like Broken Token makes all wooden inserts that it, you just put together. There are a bunch of now manufacturers that make it out of like the harder foam, right? Yeah. Um, that you can put, get them and put them together. They fit inside the original game box, but they store things better than what the original insert did. Um, if that's something that you know, if your person you're buying the gift for has mentioned, maybe that man, this game is really hard to put back in the box or you know, something like that lines might be something to consider for them. Yeah, definitely. A lot of games, especially ones that have like cards in them or something like that. Um, the great debate is whether you sleeve your cards or not. For those <laughs> that do, uh, a lot of times the problem becomes that it doesn't fit back in the box once you put these little plastic sleeves on them. Yeah. Um, and if I feel like that's one of those you kind of have to know the person a little bit better. Yeah. Um, like if I, I could find some stuff you know for you because we've had to put stuff back in boxes and sometimes it doesn't fit and yeah it's like damn it yeah this sucks so uh but there's some great ones out there like uh the unmatched storage system Mm -hmm. that just kind of came out um we've looked at that and we've looked at uh different storage options for marvel zombies since we've got all nine boxes of that (laughs) out now uh, but something like that where it has tons and tons of little minis. Yeah. Uh, you want to put them in a way that you can find them and organize them. So there are some great options there. Moving on, this kind of falls like in between component upgrades to uh, more of the uh, painting and hobby side of it is uh, talking about minis. Yeah. Uh, so and especially on the tabletop RPG side, um, if a person is someone who runs games, I I would I would say they probably do not have enough minis. Yes. Yes. Like yeah. I haven't seen their collection, but I'll go ahead and tell you they probably don't have enough. Um obviously things like goodness, there are so many different brands of miniatures, so many different manufacturers now. I know Reaper is one of the staples that have been around, it's been for, around a for a while. Long, long time. Um you can get a lot of miniatures for relatively inexpensive with them. I know Wizards of the Coast has started putting out a lot more officially produced miniatures, right? Um, including kids. the the blind boxes. Yep. 
most times when they release a new book, there'll be an option for you to buy. And it's just this box and it's got five minis in it, but you don't know which minis, but they all come out of that storyline. Yeah. They're all pre-painted or colored, uh, so you don't have to paint them. Uh, they're ready to go straight from the box. Yeah, you can also find um, online, you can find various like uh, 3D printed files that you can then have people print for you. Mm-hmm. Um, or if your person is fortunate enough to have a 3D printer, they can actually print them themselves. Right. Um, leaning into that a little bit more, um, 3D printers are also an option depending on what your budget is. Um, they have gotten relatively inexpensive compared to what they were, what they were. years and years mm-hmm. ago. Um, whether you're looking at resin or uh, a traditional printer, uh, budget could be anywhere from 150 to $300 and you can get a decent one. Absolutely. In like some places, you only get one dice for that. So Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it might be made out of human <laughs> bone, but still. Um, so there are a lot of options out there when it comes to minis. Um, I think some of the coolest ones have been the larger like set piece minis. Right. Um, you know, I, I think it was last year. It might have been the year before. They came out with the giant Tiamat mini. I say mini, but it's it's not. Um, it's it's to scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, something like that, if you have a larger budget, is really really cool. I still remember the one year where we bought each other the same gift, and uh. we did not know that we were buying each other that. Um, it was the the infernal uh, war machine. War machine from yeah, yeah from Avernus. Yep. Um, so yeah, they're always a cool option. Um, they. If nothing else, they make cool set pieces for down the road and in future campaigns. Uh, You never know when that monster you bought them might end up being the one you have to fight later. You can also do custom miniatures. uh, uh, Eldritch Foundry and uh, Hero Forge are two of the websites where you can go on and they've got a great design function in there where you can build your mini, change the pose, um, thousands of options for what yeah. you want. Because sometimes it's hard to find like that Seder Bard mini carrying a harmonica. Yeah. Go to look at Hero Forge to see what they have. And so with that, sometimes when you get minis, they are already either pre-painted or they're printed in uh, you know plastic that's already colored and you don't have to paint them. Um, for the rest of us, or if you are into wargaming especially, you've got to paint your minis. Yeah. If you know somebody that is a mini painter or an aspiring mini painter, um, a couple of good options that we bring up are new paints and brushes. Yeah. Uh, wow. It is, it's a pretty wide open market. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just go to your local Home Depot or something and, <laughs> you know, pick up paint. It's not going to work. Uh, in the hobby stores and stuff, you can go in and find stuff. Uh, Valero, Citadel Paints, Army Painter, those are kind of like three big names that are known out there that do uh, mini paints. Your painter will know what to do with them, but there are a lot of great options if you're wanting to buy like a set. Yeah. Um, well, some of the best ones that I've seen, honestly, are the Army Painter sets. Yeah. Like, they come in different varieties. Like they'll be like the, do you want to paint metal set? Yeah. Or do you want to paint fantasy skin set? And it'll have a lot of options in there. Uh, the ones we got last year that I really, really were was impressed with was their speed painter set. Yeah. Where uh, painting, there's a there's as many different techniques as there is paint. Yeah. Uh, but the speed painter set lets you really just slap on paint. Like, we did six minis in like an hour. And they looked good. Yeah. Like, good enough. 
I'm not putting them in any kind of a competition or anything, but sitting at the table, everybody was like, wow, my mini is really brought to life. Yeah. Um, so those are some good options. Um, there are also a lot of smaller companies now too, kind of getting into this game. Um, and a lot of them are bringing like new and exciting takes on paints and painting. One of the ones we met at PAX last year was Turbo Dork. Yes. I really like their paints as just a different option. Yeah. Um, what they do with their paints is they've got really unusual colors and they do this really good metallic. Yeah. Um, in several different colors. Uh, just absolutely beautiful. Uh, there's a certain kind of technique for applying it. Um, but you get it on there really well, and, I mean, it really can make a mini pop. Uh, they also have, uh, because of the way the paint is, um, a lot of painters will use like what's called a wet palette. And they're like, yeah, don't do that. And they actually have their own little palettes that they sell that keeps their paint from uh, soaking in. So um, if you're looking at those, definitely pick up one of these. They have like a little 4 by 4 palette that's, yeah. I think, like 5 bucks or something. But a really great company, and a lot of times, we'll talk about this here at the end, you can find that at your friendly local game store as well. Yep. Um, and then we get into brushes. Um, <laughs> to me, who is not a mini painter, when I first was um, looking at this, like trying to you know put this episode together, talking about this, uh, I was like, paintbrush. I, I, so you got different sizes of them, you know, like some are better for that. Like I understand the general concept. As a person who sells paint supplies on a commercial level, I understand that like different paintbrushes are made out of different like filaments and that affects the way that they're able to. So I understand it. But when I started looking at all the different like types that you can have, the different sizes when it comes to these, you know, miniature painting, like it was really phenomenal. Yes. Yes. And some of the companies that we've talked about already, uh, Citadel, Army Painter, uh, they have their own line of brushes out there yeah. or a few lines of brushes. Um, you can go to a hobby store and pick some up too. If you, I think that's one of those if you're a little better about understanding what you're doing and what kind of brushes you're looking for. Um, just kind of in the art department side. If you're not sure and you just want to like pick up some brushes, like I said, the ones that are already designed for many, and I mean, there are all sorts of brushes depending on the size of the uh, mini because we keep using that word, but some of these minis are massive. Right. Uh, I'm not going to paint Galactus with some of the brushes I have uh, that I paint, you know, <laughs> two inch minis with. Right. It's not going to happen. But there's brushes for dry brushing. There's medium brushes. There's detail brushes. I mean, some of the ones that I have, like I was able to paint uh, ribbons on a uh, on a Krieg's Guardsman. Uh, which was, I mean, tiny, tiny. It took some work. So lots of them out there. The guys over at Lethal Shadows. Yep. Uh, you go look them up, and one, you will find tons of minis. Heroes, villains, creatures, all kinds of good stuff just in their mini department. But they also make brushes. Uh, a matter of fact, when I went back last year and bought more stuff from them, <laughs> they do a paintbrush that's called the Paint Scythe. It is a uh, aluminum body paintbrush where you can actually swap the tips out. If you're painting minis, you're going to have multiple brushes going at one time, uh, different sizes, different types, different cuts, things like that. Uh, theirs lets you use uh, different size tips. Uh, what I really like about this one 
is the way it feels in your hand. Most of the other brushes are plastic or wooden for their handle. Uh, this has some real heft to it, some weight, which I really like. And now they're producing more of the tips, so you have some different sizes. I've had one for a couple of years. Uh, I've given them as gifts just because they are uh, really comfortable to use. Yeah, and they also, in addition to just brushes, a lot of mini painters use some sort of like stand or handle Yes, um, to try and hold on to the miniature without having to literally hold it as you're painting. Um, they actually make a really, really good one called the Paint Scepter. Yes. Which I, I know you've used quite a lot since you picked it up. Um, but basically it, it, it attaches onto the base of the miniature you're painting and then has a handle that allows you to, you know, rotate and keep a good grip on it as you're trying to paint. But I know theirs does a few other different things. It does. One, it comes with a base. So you can set it down there if you're going to use like a magnifying glass and you want to just hold it still and not have to worry about holding the actual, uh, the scepter. It's base will keep it in place. So you can work off of that. The way that the head works is you can clamp on the outside of a base or uh, with some of the components that comes with it, you can actually put it underneath the base and spread it out mm -hmm. so it'll hold that way. If you're painting a mini that may not have a base, you can adjust it where it will clamp in uh, just the right area to just hold it still while you're painting it as well. It gives you so many options. And what I really like about it, uh, one of the things is the top of it where all of this holding part is going on is on like a ball swivel. So you can loosen it and tighten it and change. So it's not just a straight base. It, you can put an angle on it if you need to move something around. Um, really one of the most versatile uh, like grips that I've seen on the market. Yeah. So definitely a company to check out. That Again, that's Lethal Shadows. Um, you can find their online store. Um, take a look at some of their products if you have a mini painter that you are buying gifts for. Um, these are some fantastic accessories to look at getting for them. And with all the stuff that we've talked about, if you're still like, you know what, I still don't know, that's perfectly fine. I think a perfectly acceptable gift um, would be a gift card to their local uh, gaming store. Yep. Uh, we've done this for people before in the past. So maybe maybe your reaction to that is, but wait, my friend lives across the country and I only play with them online. Well, have I got news for you? Uh, we've done that. We've called the local game store nearest to some friends of ours who did live across the country. Uh, we're able to buy gift cards for them. Um, and then they were able to go pick them up from the store, use them on whatever they wanted to. Um, so even if you're the person you're buying the gift for isn't local, um, find out where they are and find out what stores may be nearby them. Right. Most of the gamers that I know get, a get a charge out of getting to go to the store. Like yeah. even just walking in there is, you know, we're that we're, we're back in our element with our, you know, people that do the same thing that we do. Um, and we get to see all the new stuff. And so uh, I think that's a great idea. Um, and let them go pick what they need. I don't need any presents as long as I spend this day with you. Mm -mm, so beautiful kissing on a mistletoe, baby, with you. And now we'll finish up the episode with our crowdfunding roundup. So today we have three projects for you guys. Um, all three of them are actually games this time. Uh, we got a brand new one coming out from Gameling Games and the Tiny Epic series. 
Uh, we have a game from uh, one of our new favorite creators, uh, the guys who made Dodo's Riding Dinos. Uh, their new game has come to Kickstarter. Uh, and lastly, we have a mashup between some of our favorite things. Yes. Dungeons and Dragons and Cards Against Humanity. So let's jump into it with uh, Tiny Epic Cthulhu, the newest game in the Tiny Epic series. This is a great series for the most part. There's a couple of games that have been a little lackluster. But for the most part, I think they've got some really great ones out there. Uh, Tiny Epic Dungeons, I liked a lot. Um, and it had a lot of accessories you could get. So it yep. got less tiny, but still good. Um, so this is their newest uh, swing at this. Yeah, so the Tiny Epic series um, lives by two principles. Their games need to be tiny, and they need to be epic. Now, tiny only relates to the box size, not the table presence. Um, a lot of their games, once you unpack them, actually take up a large bit of table. Uh, they started originally with Tiny Epic Galaxies, yes. uh, which is a really, really good game. Um, they have since expanded the line. Um, you can find so many different genres now in the Tiny Epic series. Um, but really, really good games, um, and many of them are epic. Uh, so this is the next one that kind of brings a horror theme into the Tiny Epic universe. While they have, have had zombies, uh, this is one of the first ones that kind of brings in that eldritch horror. That's right. Uh, this is something straight out of H.P. Lovecraft, and it is it is Tiny Epic Cthulhu. Uh, you play as one of uh, an investigator uh, trying to save the town of Arkansmore, and you are trying to uh, complete your quests uh, before giving into the madness that is brought on by the Great Old One, um, and trying to lock away, you know, the secrets of Eldritch Horror forever. It's very H.P. Lovecraft. Like I think they nailed the theme. This feels like any of the role playing games or books or anything else that I've seen that are read. Um, this is it. You're a human, and you're dealing with weird stuff, and it may mess you up. Yeah. So the game actually centers around a mechanic where you have a spinner and as you flick it and it, it spins, one side can point to um, one things on this inner circle and then the back side will point to something else on the surrounding parts of the board. Uh, it's actually a really unique mechanism that I don't think uh, gets used a whole lot, possibly because it was kind of the traditional uh, way to do things um, right. with uh, some like very older board games, uh, but they have kind of reinvented it a little bit and, and it looks like done really well with it. Um, as an investigator, you have different emotions that you are trying to use and leverage and keep control of in order to complete these tasks and missions that you have to do. Um, it looks very interesting. If you are a fan of Eldritch Horror, um, this seems like it's going to be right up your alley. Uh, there are a lot of reviews for this game, so we don't need to go into it too much. Feel free to jump on the Kickstarter and take a look at it. Um, Gamelin Games has been around for a long time. They have quite a following, um, so they get a lot of the larger review companies to do reviews for them. Um, but there are some really cool just general um, upgrades and things like that with the Kickstarter, like they have done recently with their other tiny Epic games. Um, the best part I think about them is you can get in for relatively cheap. That's right. Uh, they also have uh dies tutorial, D I Z E D. Uh, so you can have this pulled up on your phone or your tablet and be playing like right out of the box. Yeah. So let's look at the pledge levels. Uh, so of course there's the dollar pledge just to hang around. Uh, they start with a premium print and play for 20 bucks. Any digital rewards, 
from like art and whatnot from the final production will be on there. It includes deluxe and the Cult of Chaos digital content, but it doesn't send any components. Right, and that's only 20 bucks. But if you look at the next level, um, you can actually get the base game, which in, is the retail version of the Tiny Epic Cthulhu. It doesn't have the deluxe edition or the Cult of Chaos expansion content, but it's only 25 bucks. Right. That does get you six hero mats, four great old one mats, uh, five town mats, the 30 pages of cards. Wow. The Necronomicon, some dice, a bag, uh, your shamblers. Like, There's a lot of stuff that comes with that. Yep. Um, one thing that I do love that they, they do often is they put, um, like, they use wooden tokens for a lot of the ones, and that's what you get here. Uh, 135 of them come in the base game, uh, which I think is really, really cool. Um, so, But to upgrade that, you can actually get the deluxe version of the game, uh, which includes Kickstarter content um, and also includes the premium print and play um, content as well for $30. That one does not include the Cult of Chaos expansion. Right. Okay. Yeah, 30 bucks for the deluxe version. Uh, moving up to the next one, you can get all of that plus the epic Cult of Chaos expansion for another 10 bucks. So you're looking at 40 bucks, and it includes, like you said, all the print and play, Kickstarter, limited exclusive deluxe content, uh, the expansion. And this one they've got marked as their best deal, just so uh, if, you're, if you're into saving money. I don't know what you're doing listening to this podcast, but... <laughs> Uh, and then further down for 75 you can get that same deal twice. Uh, or if you go down for 350 this is more of a retail uh, kind of pledge, you can get that same deal with the epic Cthulhu and Cult of Chaos uh, 10 times. So in case you want to go ahead and sell them. Yeah, so this one looks really exciting. Again, I, I've always been a fan of the Tiny Epic series. Um, they make really good games. Like I said, most of them have been hits. Um, they usually play pretty quickly too, um, and just are all around nice little little games to include in your collection. So currently, this project is fully funded. There are twelve days to go as of time of recording. Um, so if you jump on this, it's definitely going to be made. Um, I, I do want to point out though, Gamelin is really good about having their like Kickstarter extras and things like that available after the Kickstarter ends. So like at conventions, at things like that. So if it's something maybe you can't jump on right now, um, definitely know that you'll be able to get extras and things like that if you visit their booths during Kickstarters, which their booths at conventions are always wonderful. It's always a giant castle and it makes me happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right now there's uh, 12 days to go. So by the time this gets out, you're looking at probably 10 days. Uh, go check it out. So the next game that we have is from the creators of Dodo's Riding Dinos, which we've talked about a little bit. It was a kind of last minute pickup that we had at Gen Con this year yep. um, that has really been a wonderful game to add to our collection. It basically encapsulates the joy and humor and craziness of Mario Kart in a board game. Um, that features small little dodos riding various dinosaurs, and it's wonderful. The new game that they have that is now on Kickstarter is Party Panda Pirates. If dodos riding dinos captures that feel of Mario Kart, I feel like this one's really reaching for Mario Party. Yes, that's exactly what it feels like. Um, it includes multiple mini games that are played in the game. Uh, there are a couple little 
party like features where um you're you have your traditional board like if anyone's played mario party you know you have the game board where you're like moving your pieces around and then there'll be the mini games that everybody plays in the better you do in the mini game the more points or coins or whatever it is you get um same principle here uh, it's a two to six player game uh eight plus is the age and a game should last around 40 minutes uh there are some really cool pieces that I was looking, um, not just like upgraded miniatures, but um, for instance, the center of the board that is shaped like a panda head, by the way, has a miniature of a turtle ship and you actually drop your little panda meeples in it and they slide out the front of the turtle ship and you're trying to aim them towards these different islands that have a little circle on them. And if you get your panda crewmate into the circle, you get an extra coin. Right. So again, another little piece of like a mini game just for every single time. Um, but then there are all sorts of different um, mini games that they have created. Um, they are actually hitting stretch goals to continue to create more. Right. Um, so I'm really excited to see all the different things that kind of come up with this. Uh, the so far, uh, the production quality on um, Dodo's writing dinos was fantastic. Um, there were both miniatures and meeples in that box as well. And everything was like really well done. The cards were really great. The inserts were fantastic. So I'm really expecting high production quality from this company, um, given what they've done in the past. Um, the gameplay also was very smooth. So I'm again, I'm expecting this to be a fantastic game and this is probably one it's a, it's a late hit to the season, but it's more than likely going to be one that I'll be backing. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, let's talk about uh, what you get on the pledge levels. The retail edition is coming in at 30 bucks and you get the free raft mini expansion for supporting the project during the campaign. That comes with uh, it's kind of a Kickstarter exclusive. It looks like. Yep. So on top of that, then if you want to step it up a little bit, uh, you can get the deluxe edition. The deluxe edition comes in at $59, which is going to be cheaper than the um, MSRP of it when it comes to uh, retail, uh, but includes uh, panda meeple miniatures, uh, which represent the captain of whatever crew that you have. Um, and one cool thing about the Kickstarter, they don't have their abilities laid out yet. They're going to allow the community to vote um, and to create their abilities. Um, you also get metal coins, which we were just talking about game upgrades. Um, and then all of the other cardboard tokens are now going to be wooden tokens um, for your chest and your pirate hats. Your other cardboard tokens that are prediction tokens are actually going to be turned into acrylic tokens, um, which, again, we were just talking about all these really cool upgrades. Um, they are also include in the deluxe edition a very nice plastic insert. That way everything fits nice and neat inside the box. Uh, and that's what is included in the deluxe edition. So honestly, not a bad price for a for really all nice the good upgrade. stuff that you can get in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the next one up, I'm a little, I mean, I'm wary. It is the deluxe plus edition. So it comes with uh, all of the deluxe bonuses that you get. Plus you get an eye patch, a pirate hat, a plushie, uh, and then all of the uh, unlocks. Um, for but wait. You forgot to mention it is a red panda pirate plushie. I was going to say. <laughs> Let's not sell it short. <laughs> that one's 85 bucks. Yeah. Um, they have uh, some kind of prototype pictures of some of the stuff on the Kickstarter because um, they have not 
fully developed like the plushie and things like that. Um, this is really, uh, for me anyway, I, I, I would not back the deluxe plus, um, uh, cause it's not really something I'm interested in, but I will say the artwork and things like that are adorable with these games. Um, so if it might be something that is right up your alley that you could see paying the extra 25 bucks for, like I get the eye patch, um, cause you can make like a lot of these games are somewhat dexterity based games, at least with Dodo's riding dinos. Yeah. So making somebody wear an eye patch, they lose that depth perception. Uh, I, I get it. We're going to, we're going to advance the game a little. Sure. Um, the next one is a retailer deposit. So if you have your own brick and mortar store, wanted to look at carrying this, um, a hundred dollars gets you the deposit to be able to order from them for the Kickstarter. Now they do have some other add-ons and things like that, that you can get outside of just the standard pledges. Um, you can actually get, um, both the Panda plushie and the eye patches and stuff separate. If you don't want, if you only want one or the other print, for instance, um, you can also get a couple of their other games, um, uh, including Dodo's riding dinos, um, and the expansion Dodo dash as well. You can add on to your pledge. So as of time recording here, this is also fully funded. Um, it is at 74,000 out of a $10,000 goal. Um, and it has 11 days to go now. So probably about nine by the time the episode gets out. So take a look at it and see, um, I definitely recommend the creators, um, so far with what they've made in the past. And this looks like a very similar themed game. All right. And the last one that we have coming up is, uh, Bards versus Humility, a party game for spicy bards. If you have been around the past, I don't know, 10 years maybe, um, and played in a gaming group, more than likely you have heard of Cards Against Humanity. Um, it is usually a um, not safe for work, <laughs> um, depending on your work, uh, time with uh, card play and as well as some pretty hilarious combinations. Uh, what this game seeks to do is is take those elements and combine them with a kind of fantasy D&D theme. Uh, we all have heard the stereotype of the uh, bard. Uh, they really look to lean into that <laughs> with this game. Right. Uh, there's a locked door. Can I seduce the door? What? Yeah. 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 What I really like about this one is that there are two modes of play. There's kind of the traditional mode where somebody plays a uh, category card. Right. And then everybody gets their choices, how they're going to fill that to try to make the best joke. Whoever yep. is the funniest gets that. But they also have a dungeon mode where you turn those jokes into uh, weapons of combat <laughs> to take out like monsters in the dungeon. Yeah. Uh, collect loot, stuff like that. This was something that I liked on um, the game of ham. Does the same sort of thing where it's not just that cards against humanity make the jokes and move on thing that there is another element to it. Yep, um, which I I think does make this game interesting. Um, it I, I'm curious to kind of see um, more information about it before I jump in, but it does definitely look like a cool project if that is what your group like enjoys doing. Like if, if those kind of jokes are right up your group's alley, then yeah, 100% take a look at this game. Um, they even have some cool stuff. There's um, some PDFs that they're including for 5e that have some of the monsters that they created. Um, give you stats for that if you want to put those into your role-playing game. So looking at the available rewards, 
Um, so starts out with a, a print at home version PDF. Um, you can get that at about $30. Um, and it prints in us letter and a four formats. Uh, so that's kind of the entry level to the game. Now, if you want a copy printed by them, um, it, they'll give you both a physical and a digital copy at about $52. So for uh, about $150, you get a copy of the game and an opportunity to create a punchline card, add your best joke, reference to your home game, character name, or something else. We'll work with you to make sure it's funny and fits the vibe of the game. I really love that. There's 36 of those left out of 40. Um, I love that they're like, we'll work with you to make sure it's funny. Uh, <laughs> that, sometimes people need that. Uh, that's kind of a cool option, especially if you're, you know, got something from a home game that, you know, you roll over, it's going to be immortalized in, uh, in the card game. Yep. So that's the, all the available rewards. Now there was a really cool one, uh, that you can add your face to a bard card. Um, so they basically make you into one of the bards. That was a $442 pledge. There were only two of them and they're gone now. I want to know who got them. Is it going to be somebody that we all know? Uh, did Matt Mercer back this? Uh, you know, one could only hope. Yeah. Um, so they do say that this um, will not obviously be printed in time for shipping by Christmas, since we are now in December and the Kickstarter is not over yet. Um, but they said if you buy the game, we will email you a printable Christmas card along with a printable Christmas themed monster card. Uh, and my favorite part of this is the note that they said after that. It said, we asked Santa and to get his elves to help us print it faster, but he told us to get... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, obviously, these guys have leaned into the humor here that they're looking for. So, this is something you think will fit your group. Definitely take a look at it and see. Uh, it might be something that you will really enjoy. All right, and with that. So this is our last episode of the year, and we really just wanted to thank all of you who have joined us. We want to thank you for listening, for following our social media, and for telling your friends about our show. We wish each and every one of you a happy holidays and many new adventures in the upcoming year. We'll be back in January, so until then. For the Dapper Meeple, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. Good night, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around and listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, let me ask you a favor. Follow us and leave a like wherever you get your podcast. It'll really help us out. And if you have anything to say back to us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for The Dapper Meeple. Or you can email us at dappermeeplegaming at gmail.com. And as always, we'll save you a seat at the table. 